0: Hi, I'm Pastor Caleb. Thanks so much for listening to the Aftershock Podcast. I just want to let you know that this week's episode deals with a rather serious topic of suicide. I want to encourage any of you listening who might be grappling with this to not do so alone. If you or someone you know is considering suicide, please call 1-800-273-8255. There are people standing by 24-7 from the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline to help you through whatever you're facing. I hope you enjoy the episode. How many of you have ever read and or watched the Harry Potter series? Okay, even if you haven't though, I'm sure you know that Voldemort is a scary dude, right? Okay, so... The first time that Voldemort's defeated, the Ministry of Magic uh, decides they want to try to make Voldemort less scary. And and they do this by banning his name from conversation. And, And I think the logic went something like this. People are still afraid of Voldemort. What should we do? I know. Let's take his name out of conversation. Let's make it against the law to talk about him. And eventually, the fear of him will just naturally go away. And from that point on, people had to stop talking about him who must not be named. But rather than diminish Voldemort's prominence and his power over people, it actually increased it. Uh, It's like Dumbledore explains to Harry, that that fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. And, And I think that's what's happened with suicide. Suicide is a scary thing but oftentimes how Christians have responded to it is to not talk about it. Uh, And and should someone bring it up, uh, someone will quickly silence it, shoot it down, because it is the thing that must not be discussed. But not talking about suicide hasn't made it any less prevalent in our society. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for your age group. And recent studies tell us that one in every four teens has contemplated suicide over the last year since COVID-19 hit. One in four. Which means that there's a really good chance that someone you know has considered suicide or maybe is considering it right now. And so tonight, we're just going to talk about suicide. We're going to try to understand what's going on when people choose suicide. How does the Bible speak into that situation? And practically speaking, what do we do when we encounter it? And so let's just start by dispelling some myths about suicide. So myth number one, people who commit suicide want to die. And that's absolutely not true. As strange as this might sound, suicide is a coping mechanism. It's how people deal with the hopelessness of their life when they feel like they don't matter or their life is completely out of control and they are unable to, to do anything about that, the thought of suicide gives them a sense of control, of power, and of authority that they currently lack in their life. And so by thinking about it, by contemplating it, by if it gets this far, by doing it, they are choosing the only option they see for coping with the hardships of their life. And so suicide is not birthed out of a desire to die, it's birthed out of of, of hopelessness in their life. That's myth one. Myth two, having suicidal thoughts means that you must act on them. And that's false as well. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you're required to act upon it. Did you know you have about 6,200 thoughts a day? And most of those are unsolicited, right? They just kind of pop into your head. Imagine if you had to act on every thought that pops into your head. Uh, here's all I'm trying to say. Having a thought is not the problem, nor is it a requirement for action. It's when you dwell on that thought and you decide to act upon it, that's when you start courting trouble. And myth number three. The Bible says that suicide is the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin. Therefore, there's no point in talking about it. Have you ever heard that before? It's actually a rather common opinion among Christians, and yet it's one that I really can't find a lot of biblical support for. And so here's what I think happened. I I think this myth was birthed, out of good intentions. That someone, not wanting people to commit suicide, decided to use a scare tactic to discourage them. Uh, And I think the hope was something like this, that the possibility of an eternity away from God would somehow outweigh the negativity of their life and how much it stinks. And though they meant well, uh, there was an unintended Consequence of using this type of label. It puts suicide on the far end of a scale of badness. We all kind of walk around with a scale of badness in our heads, don't we? Like if I asked you which is worse, murder or stealing, we would all probably say murder. Or if I said which is worse, stealing or gossip, we'd probably all say stealing. Like we just have like this scale of badness. And by calling suicide the unpardonable sin, we put it on the far end, miles away from everything else. Which means that if anyone has ever had the thought about it, well then I should be ashamed of myself and I can't talk about this anymore. See, by artificially inflating the wrongness of suicide, it doesn't do anyone any good. Yes, suicide is problematic, but, but so it is everything that is contrary to God's design and instruction for human flourishing. Uh, and so if the Bible doesn't say that it's the unpardonable sin, does it even say anything about suicide? Does it, does it speak into the subject? And it does in a couple of different ways. Uh, One way is simply acknowledging that it happens. Uh, There are six, maybe seven, accounts of suicide in Scripture. And in all of them, uh, the individual that committed suicide lost hope. Uh, These would be guys like King Saul or Judas Iscariot. But just because there are six or seven acts of suicide in the Bible doesn't mean that it isn't more prevalent. it's contemplated a lot more than we would think. And so what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll start in verse one, uh, and look at one such instance of hopelessness and suicidal uh, thoughts. And as you guys uh, turn to 1 Kings 19, uh, let me just go ahead and set the stage us. So the nation of Israel has just full-on rejected God. They are following the false god, Baal. And uh, Elijah, God's prophet, has been speaking out against them. Uh, and, and it leads to this epic showdown between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal on the mountaintop of Carmel. And, and Elijah wins the, the, the showdown. And after his victory, he just he kills all the prophets of Baal. Okay, And so the next day, the evil queen Jezebel finds all of this out, and she sends him a message in verse 2 of 1 Kings chapter 19. Jezebel sends a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She threatens to have Elijah killed for what he did to her priest now uh, elijah had just won a momentous victory right so you could kind of expect him to be like yeah bring it on but it's not what he does instead we're told that he becomes afraid and he runs for his life he runs and runs and runs until he can't run anymore and then he comes to a tree in the desert and he prays to god in verse four it is enough now O lord take away my life, for I am no better than my fathers. Elijah has lost hope. And because he has lost hope, he wants his life to end. And he actually expounds on his perspective a little bit more in verse 10. Once again, he's talking to God and he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars. They have killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, uh, Elijah just has this this sense of hopelessness around him. He is convinced that he is the only one left, that everything he's done in his life and his ministry has been pointless. He is all alone. Everyone is against him, and he is just had enough. And he wants God to take his life. He wants it all to be over. But rather than grant his request, the Lord does a few things for him. Uh, And the first is somewhat surprising for us. He takes care of Elijah's physical needs. If you look at verses 5 through 8, what God does is has Elijah take a nap, eat some food, take another nap, and then get some exercise. He he makes sure that Elijah's basic physical needs are met. And and that's important because oftentimes in stressful situations, in hardships, the first thing to be ignored and jettisoned is our basic physical needs, which is really quite silly. It's like trying to go on a road trip with the gas gauge on empty. And so in times of stress and hardship, it's important to take care of ourselves. And so God makes sure that Elijah is doing this. Second thing he does, he gives Elijah hope. Uh, in verses 15 through 18, God responds to Elijah and really corrects his perception of things. He uh, affirms him, uh, or affirms that he's going to, to set things right that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel will, in fact, pay for their sins. But he also reveals to Elijah that he isn't alone, that there are 7,000 others in shoes like his. And, and here's why, why this conversation, this shift in perception is so important, is because everyone has a story that's going on in their heads. Right now, there is an internal story going on that tells you what you are like, what the people around you are like, and what the world is like. And we live our lives by that internal story. And and this is why, for example, when you compliment someone, people will outright reject it at times. It's not because they're being humble. Sometimes it just goes against what they believe about themselves. And they can't accept something that is not in line with their internal story. And so what God is doing here is he's rewriting the internal story. He's he's giving Elijah the correct perspective and reasons for hope. And the third and final thing he does is he gives Elijah a friend. If you look at the last few verses of our text, we're introduced to this guy named Elisha. And Elisha would eventually take Elijah's place as the prophet of God. But here, he is simply Elijah's friend. The one who does life with him, who talks to him, who endures the ups and downs of life with him. Uh, And any time we're in a hardship, it's crucially important to be doing it with someone. Um, to, to, uh, To reference that often quoted passage in Ecclesiastes, two is better than one. Because if one falls, the other can help them up. But pity the one who falls, and there is no one to help them up. So this is how God responds to Elijah's hopelessness and his suicidal thoughts. He he speaks into the situation. And and you might be thinking, Caleb, that's great for Elijah. What about me? What about my loved ones? What about my friends? And the reality is God has actually done more for us than he has Elijah because he has given us Jesus. Jesus. See, in Jesus, all our needs are met. Because of Jesus, our internal story has been rewritten. No longer are we enemies of God and vile sinners, but now we are beloved children of God who are as valuable as the life of Jesus. And because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, he now calls us friend. And we have someone who will never leave us or forsake us. This is how the Bible speaks into the hopelessness that births suicide. It infuses hope. And so practically speaking, how do, we, how do we respond whenever we encounter suicide? What if a friend someday confides in you that they're thinking about ending it all? What do we what do? We, what do, we do? <laughs> Let me give you three things. One, don't panic. Let me say it again. Do not panic. Panic. Any time the word suicide is mentioned, our hearts begin to race. It triggers a fight-or-flight reaction in us, and that is completely normal, but also very unhelpful. Uh, I, I, even licensed counselors who deal with this all the time, every time they interact with it, their hearts begin to race. But what they've taught themselves to do is to remain cool and say something like this. Oh, okay. Would you tell me more about that? Explain to me where you're coming from which transitions really nicely into the second thing you can do if you encounter it, and that is talk about it. Or more importantly, listen to them talk about it. Um, now you might be thinking, well, Caleb, if I, if I talk about it, that will just make them want to do it more. A- and that's, that's not true. <laughs> Remember the main issue is that they feel like their life is hopeless, they are alone and unvalued, and have no control. And so by listening, by allowing them to vent and to process, you're actually giving them hope and giving them a sense of control and value. And You don't have to have the perfect things to say in these situations because there is no such thing. <laughs> Simply being available, being present, and listening, you, you communicate that you value them, and that, that gives a person hope. Now, now, of course, there are some times that are, should be more concerning than others. If someone comes to you and they have a detailed plan, they have the means to execute that plan, and, and, and they have the opportunity to do it, that is concerning, and you need to tell someone. But on the onset, don't panic, listen. And then as you have opportunity in those conversations, point them to hope infuse some hope into the conversation you can help them rewrite their internal narrative help them see the good in their life the things that are worth living for now this takes time Uh, you're not going to be able to make one comment and they'll be like yeah you're right this is no longer a problem for me It, it takes a long time to rewrite the stories that we have written in our heads but over time our commitment our Love for them, our valuing of them, gives us opportunity to infuse hope. <sighs> Guys, this, this topic is a big deal, and, and I'll be honest, it's much easier to ignore it, to act like it's not there. But, but we have an opportunity to, to love others by, uh, by listening, by giving them hope, whether they are, are, are contemplating suicide or they're just having a bad day. Because uh, the reality is life is tough. Inevitably, we will face hardships of many kind. But the good news is we aren't alone. And in Christ, there is always hope.